Welcome to another episode of Reptile Fight Club. Um, what's going on? I'm uh, Justin Julander. I've forgotten how to do this. It's been a while. <laughs> and uh, here with me is uh, Mr. Chuck Boland. My friend! My friend! <laughs> your face! I haven't seen your face in forever! You've been foreign countrying and doing all sorts of gallivanting. gallivanting what is up? On. It's uh yeah, it's a it's a rough job, but somebody's gotta do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. look good, you look you look recharged, you look energized. Is that is I that feel, true? I, or? I feel pretty tired, but yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, well, you're hiding it well. <laughs> yeah, coming back to the cold and the snow again. Man, it's not gonna let up out here. It's really? Mm. Yeah. I don't know how it is down south. We got a couple uh, guests with us tonight, uh, uh Chris Jensen and Aspen Mayhem. I, did I pronounce that right? You, it's whatever you want it to be, but I, that is how I use it. Yes, okay. it is. I mean, let's I use be it honest. as mayhem. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. Justin's going to screw it up anyway. So. <laughs> if anybody's going to, it'll be Justin. I'm just yes. glad I remembered. Like usually, it comes time to say somebody's name, I'm like, oh, so yeah. Welcome, guys. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> How's the weather down south? Is it cold to hurt? Wet. It's still cold. Uh, Not today. No, yeah, maybe tomorrow. A, yeah, <laughs> I found a side blotch lizard today. Actually, right. that's a good sign. <laughs> oh, Real excited. Making Arabs today. Yeah, it's, no, it's we're getting close. You rarely see down there. That's <laughs> no, you never see them. Or, or really, you always see them. One of the two. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on, guys. Uh, this should be fun. So, um, let's see. We we met what in 2018. 2019? When was that? Probably. Yeah. It's been I, mean, one of the, I think it was 2019. Was it uh-huh. 2019? I think that it's was... Been a me and Aspen were... Yeah. No, me and Aspen were talking about this just the other day. Me and him <laughs> started talking in 2016, and we're like, how the heck has it been that long? And it's... We're both regretting it. It's It's <laughs> we, been a hell of a trip. <laughs> we we pointed out he messaged me first, so it's all his fault. Good. I, I take full oh. fault for that. Yeah. <laughs> Did, so were you guys like out herping on your own then, and then you kind of joined forces, or? <laughs> mm, we didn't really start hardcore herping until we started hanging out together. Oh, Before yeah. then, it was kind of incidental. Oh look, I found a snake. Yeah, yeah. Like when you're a teenager and you're out there and you're not sure if you're grabbing a rattlesnake or a gopher snake because you don't really know. And you haven't learned yet, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I still I, do uh, that. I saw Keith McPeak on on Facebook saying he was coming to Utah to go down to St. George to herp with you guys. And I'm like, well, if Keith is coming, then I'm gonna I'm gonna go. So I kind of invited you, myself. You pulled a chuck. I did. I did. Yeah, good job. Out, yeah. Well and then done. We're glad you came. That made it fun. Well, it, it was ended a up lot of not fun. coming, and then I was like, um, can I still come if Keith doesn't come? <laughs> so, and, I mean, Chris didn't know me from Adam, but he put me up in his guest bedroom you know and uh we did some good herp and found some fun stuff got a gila the first night we, we were there so yep. that was a good way to start that was all yeah, your gila too found, <laughs> yeah yeah i, I think we scratchy. found a heel right found that, that gila a long nose and mm-hmm. some desert tortoises, desert tortoises. Yeah. yeah it was not a bad little outing yeah. That was a good good start to the trip for sure. Yeah, I feel I feel like if you pull your weight like that, finding the Gila, you're probably doing okay uh, <laughs> as far as like you know. Yeah. Well, me and Chris walked right past it, and Justin goes, "Hey, I hear something in the bushes," and it was dark by then. And he shines his light and goes, "Gila!" 
We're like, oh. <laughs> nice. You're like, yeah, right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm like, guys, you want to go back cool to this? It was cool you hadn't seen a Gila in what? Like, uh, it was a while you said you hadn't years. seen one. Yep. That's a yeah. long time. Yeah, that is a long time. I need to make it a little shorter for the next one. But I'm thinking Let's this year's going to be a good year. It's it's looking uh, a lot of water coming down, so hopefully that'll yeah, make for a better so. herb year. Yeah, last year was terrible. <laughs> last I did three get years have been terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, um, we're going to chat about uh, sharing herping spots, so we'll uh, we'll dive into that here soon, but... Yeah, well, um, what's going on new? What do you got going, Chuck? Oh, boy. Um, I mean, I started a new job um, oh, this yeah, week. Congrats. So, that's, yeah, that's that's, cool. that's good. I'm, I'm now in uh, the environmental office at at, uh, at the same place I was. So um, I picked up a physical scientist position in the environmental office. So that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, just letting me, you know, working my degree uh, a little yeah. bit so uh stat sig there um <laughs> so you know how you know how a new job and you know figuring everything out and all the all the all the newness of it you know i'm, I'm running around being like i'm new and i don't know what to do <laughs> so so that's been fun and um like i said i i, I mentioned uh just got my rodent order in for the year rodents have been crazy expensive so i I put in an online order and got like seven hundred dollars for the rodents rat just rats just rats i haven't even bought mice so So that'll be for another 10 of them yeah like 10 exactly yeah Yeah. so (laughs) no it's like 200 i got 200 so um 100 each so plenty of food for for the tracier and the and all the carpets so um Everyone should be fat and happy. Looks like the coastal, the outdoor coastal females grab it again. Um, so that's that's good. Um, don't know where the diamonds are. It's been rainy and crappy here, so they're just they're just. You uh, leave them out? You're, you're yeah, sure. I've left them out. Yeah, it's it's nice. not terribly cold. Not I mean, cold. it's hit some it's hit some some cold spells, but all so in all, it hasn't been with the rain. It's yeah, good. so the, I mean, I think I think yeah, I think I think. You know, situationally, I think when they get multiple days in a row where it's cool and and they get the weather event, uh, they may they may be ducking out. But yeah, not doesn't seem like every time. Um, so I'm just kind of waiting for it to warm up. I want to start getting food into them again uh, as their season's going to start here shortly. So we, hopefully, this is our last uh, kind of big major rain event uh here in southern california so we'll see i mean it can kind of push you know push into uh but you know it's it's, it's bloom season out here so you know anza borrego's going off for yeah. for flowers and stuff so well, that's what um, my, so we're, we're going down for spring break we're gonna nice. go down to southern california so um they were talking about catching the super bloom we're trying to figure out the best place to go and i'm trying to talk them into going to the san diego zoo so it should be mega i mean it should be mega this year we've had so much rain and um it's you know it's been it's been good for our reservoirs and our drought but yeah that the the bloom will be fantastic so you got to get out there well if if you if you head out there let me know i'll try to meet you guys out there it'd be fun just to be really cool just to say hi anyway yeah for sure for sure how much of a drive it is from 
trading Jennies, but <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a little trek. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sure your kids are much more interested in the beach than they are after a after a Utah winter. They're probably interested in the beach yeah. more well, than. Well, they found out they they're probably not going to swim in it because it's what 57 degrees. Or yeah, it's so it's not it's that's not going to be warm. a little uh, chilly. Yeah. yeah, we did yeah. jump into the Mediterranean. It was about that temperature. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just got back from. France uh, from a trip for work, so I had a viral conference. And we actually, I actually presented on snake viruses. So, cool. we talked about serpentoviruses, ninoviruses, um, as they used to be called. Um, we did so. We got some funding from one of the, I think it was the Southeast Carpet Fest. Um, they did a fundraiser and raised like you know several thousand dollars for ninovirus research. So we. Uh, use those funds to do some screening for different antiviral agents and uh, identified three that had pretty good activity and that are commercially available. Um, so we're actually publishing on that and uh, the paper should come out in another month or two. So we'll distribute that to anybody interested and and hopefully uh, take the next steps beyond that and maybe try some of these antivirals in a, an animal model and hopefully find a treatment for uh Virus. That'd be that's awesome, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So you got so you got to have some croissants and talk uh, oh, Nido yeah. virus over uh, some croissants and uh, you know <laughs> I, I didn't do much talking about the the poster because this uh, so with the poster session the the poster boards were accordioned and so my poster was kind of you know facing another poster just, ah. you know, and then. The other guy stood there for the full two hours, well, four full hours of the two different poster sessions, so I had no chance to stand by the poster and see if anybody wanted to talk about it. So I talked to a couple people, had to kind of like move him over and talk, you know, yeah, show you, him the poster. Yeah, you, you got to get a buddy to like call and <laughs> text him and like, hey, meet yeah. me, you know, like get him, get him out of there for a I, while. He, he was new, so I'd never seen him or met him before, but. See, it's us new person. guys that don't know what to do. We just fuck it all up. Yeah, yep. they don't know what yep. they're doing. That's us. That's us. <laughs> but yeah, it was cool. So on the front front end of the trip, we went down to south uh, south of France, and um, like I said, jumped in the Mediterranean. We did this hike uh, to the Calanques. It was really a cool, you know, cool little hike uh, that Heidi found, and then. We stayed in the Palace of the Popes, like this outbuilding. So it's like this now nice what? little, yeah. It was, it was pretty cool, like uh, pretty uh, the original architecture and stuff in there, with yeah. some you know new modifications. You know, of but, course, um, really a cool place to stay. And then um, went down to Nice, um, and then came back and hit the Roman Aqueduct. That was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Huge yeah. structure that ran this river basically across a canyon so pretty pretty ingenious those romans and then uh headed up to Lyon, where the conference was and and then after the conference we went up to chamonix in the alps <laughs> went up uh wow. went up a gondola up in like at about twelve thousand six hundred feet and are they as scary they, as they look they're they're imposing, man. Those things are pretty insane. And then walking upstairs at twelve thousand, you know, twelve and a half thousand feet, <laughs> you know, trying to catch, get, get your air. You're all dizzy and like, <laughs> is this thing swaying? Like, am I gonna pass out? Like, it's pretty nuts. Yeah, a nice. altitude uh, fun. But uh, and then you know, Mount Blanc is right there, and that's the highest point in Europe at like fifteen something thousand feet. So, pretty uh, pretty cool. Um, yeah, but just majestic and. Um, got another uh, 
found a species of or a reptile species or two. Well, those were invasive. There were some turtles, like of course the obligatory red ear sliders, <laughs> and there was a map turtle yeah, or something out there. I need to identify it. I don't know my turtles as well as I should, but and then uh, a wall lizard was uh, in uh, on, cli- climbing around on some Roman ruins in uh, Leon. So got to see at least a couple little herbs. But then uh, I got Is that the green Italian wall lizard? I don't I I think it was a well I wasn't I, I looked it up and then I promptly forgot but <laughs> I I think it was a, a common wall lizard but I'm not I, I can't remember. Common sure. We uh me and Aspen were and another friend were herping in southern California and there's this one little uh, neighborhood you can find Italian wall lizards in. I was, it'd be funny if it was the same species. <laughs> yeah, right. They're all over. They're running around in people's front yards. So we're parked on in a neighborhood uh-huh. photographing these people's bushes, and they're coming out all wigged out. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're here. Oh, and they, oh, you're here looking for these lizards? We go, yeah. And they're like, okay, you're, you're good. All over the place. That must That's totally crazy. happen to them, too. Like, they're like... Oh, you're just looking for the... Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. (laughs) And where was that, you said? Uh, Southern California. What what area was that? Do you remember? No, we don't give away herp spots, Aspen. (laughs) Right. That's right. uh, You're going to be there. There you go, showing me up. (laughs) Yeah, it was the common wall lizard, Podarchus muralis. Yeah. Muralis. Yeah, I think that's That's it. That's the kind? (laughs) Nice. I think that's, that's yeah. Yeah, we saw four or five, so that was kind of cool. My grad student spotted the first one, so I, I didn't even spot the first one. She's like, hey, there's a lizard crawling. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a hint. that you So you can find them in Southern California and on the East Coast at the larger um, ports where they come in and bring in, like, product and stuff from across the, the sea, and they've, they've hitched rides, and now they've made it onto uh, American soil, so little terrorist lizards coming to take over. <laughs> terrorist lizards! <laughs> terrorist lizards. Taking over the front yards <laughs> of these poor unsuspecting people. Yeah, it was. they were pretty cool looking. It had some neat pattern. I need to, so my, my camera stopped uh, uh, transferring pictures to my phone, so now i got to get them off my computer. And you tell me you got to do it manually for yeah, once? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Oh. I mean, it's like, I might as well just be developing film or something. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> hanging it up. It's torturous, yeah. Break out the dark room again. <laughs> I'm old enough that I had to, you know, pay lots of money to get pictures developed only to go, what the crap is this? I didn't. I thought that was going to be a much better picture. Yeah, good times. Um, I came home to black-headed python eggs. My female laid Did the day really? I got back right, right on my birthday. So that was a That's nice awesome. uh, birthday present. There, she laid eight good eggs, and and I promptly, most likely, screwed them up. So that was a good way to. <laughs> Are celebrate. they still going? They're still going. They haven't gone off yet. So they're nothing. They're doing all right. The, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, we are well, going tra- to practice I, the power of positive thought. There we go. There we go. Yeah. So I, I threw in some of those Govi uh, temperature monitors. So nice. hopefully we can get. It are they just rando in the? Are they just like rando in the box, or are they like down in the egg mass? Um, they're they're just next to the egg mass. I mean, gotcha. So 
So I set them up uh, based on some um, advice from my buddy Steve out in Australia. Um, shout out to Steve who does the uh, Aussie Wildlife Show podcast. Some good stuff. Um, but he, he sets them up like with 30% water to like incubation medium uh, by weight. So we usually do like a one-to-one or, you know, I was thinking, yeah. oh, I'll do a dryer. They're blackheads. So I did like nine-to-one or eight-to-one or something. He's doing three-to-one, you know, or point three to one sorry. Um, there you so go. 30% water. Yeah, I'm not making much sense here. but um, So a lot drier than I would have expected, but that's how he... he He's hatched them out, and he doesn't have any problems. So I'm like, okay, that's good enough for me. And so. this is the Steve that lives in the driest county and the driest yeah. place of <laughs> exactly. the driest dry in, in uh, all of Australia, right? Yeah, because I was like, but it's really dry here. And he's like, it's really dry here. <laughs> it's like, I'm in South Australia. <laughs> no. Yeah, so uh should should hopefully work out. But it's, yeah, looking good. I, although, I yeah, the temp got a little high uh, there at the start. Uh, so I turned on the heater and walked away and forgot about it. So I'm a genius, you know. The, They'll pull through this time. You got this. Yeah, I sure yep. hope so. Power of positive thought, That's Drew right. Linder. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. But my, uh, I have like a, I've got a, you know, the, um, oh, here's, you can see it there, the, the thermostat, and then I've got a little uh, ther- thermometer sticking in the incubator side, and then. Um, but the thermometer was reading low, so I bumped up the. But now these govies are saying it's a little high, so it's like, you know, I, I had just over I had, 90, 90 or eighty nine. I, I had to do a sensor adjustment on my govies. Oh so, really? Yeah, I mean they were all reading. They were all reading within three degrees of difference of each other, huh. so. These um, have been pretty close. I put one outside the box and one inside the box. Mm-hmm. So I could look at the general temps in the incubator. But I had them backwards, though, so I was like, oh, no, it's a little <laughs> a little hot. But then I was just the incubator, so by the eggs was all right. Is that a, is that a Ranko thermostat you've got there? Or a, I noticed yeah. the same thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a Ranko. Those things, that's cool. I've got yeah. pretty solid. Oh yeah, I've I've got a Johnson. The I think yeah. they're A419s or something like that, mm-hmm. and the thing's just it's a, a freaking tank. So yeah, they keep going. So yeah, yeah, can't say as much for my uh, what are the thermostats I bought. Yeah, the the spider robotic yeah. stuff. Yeah, I, I I I, I don't get it, man. It's just you. Because it, no, it's well, just yeah, it's you. I, I bought one too, and it's acting up too. So I don't know what, what the, the hell. I have had nothing but good on. luck with those things. Really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Well, I don't it's, know. It's, it's good to be home again, only to turn around and leave again. My kids want to go down to, to California to see the ocean. So, yeah, hey, man, all the cool goes. kids are doing it. Oh yeah, that's why it costs so much down there. That's Everybody right. Wants Everybody wants to be right. cool. Well, everyone's leaving now and making it cost so much everywhere else. Yeah, they keep coming here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're we're That's we're, for sure. we're seeding we're seeding the nation with our malcontent California spreading. Yes. Yeah. That's become yes. the red all state of the, all of the left lanes about. of your freeways will be <laughs> occupied uh, with California Tesla drivers that ain't moving for <laughs> shit, dude. Hey, Took a page right out of Kitchener. Oh no my was, god. That was actually the most refreshing thing of France is 
Everybody gets out of the way. Nobody is clogging the passing lane. It's a beautiful system. Well, I've ridden with you, works. so that's fair. <laughs> Keith McPeak will not ride with you, so those those Frenchies know what's good for them. That's well, all. No, they is. were like you. You they knew it. If somebody was coming up, you got out of the way, or else <laughs> oh. they're crawling up over you. You know, they were they were pretty intense drivers. You so. you were but, the I see. But everybody I'm got sorry, out of the way. I so I did get nabbed by a camera trap that was kind of a bummer oh, like i see everybody oh. hitting their brakes and i'm like oh I, I didn't see a cop or anything and then i see this sign i can't read french so i didn't know what it said but i saw the little like uh, the yeah exactly yeah so yeah. so are you just not gonna pay it and you're just gonna be a felon the next time you enter right, the country just stay out of france i don't yeah i don't need yeah. to go back I've you just there. blew your whole france ticket yeah. you're well, the rental company charged me twenty five bucks just because I got one, and then they said that the cops would or the you know they'd send me the bill, but I haven't seen the bill yet, so hopefully it's not too painful. I didn't think I was going that fast, but yeah, famous. They'll have late fees by the time it gets to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so, no doubt. Uh, Did you say yeah. that you uh, you also scared Keith McPeak with your driving? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you scared Keith so, McPeak too. Yeah, so when he came out to Utah this last time, we went up to uh, Zions National Park, and uh, we were coming down one of the winding roads, and they wanted to get some pictures, and so I hurried and pulled off right on the edge, and (laughs) admittedly, the edge was like a 150-foot cliff off the one side, and Keith's like, you're nuts, or you're crazy, or something like that, and I was like, I'm just driving how I'd normally drive, but yeah, I think I uh, gave him a little spook too. So yeah. maybe us Utah drivers are uh, maybe we're so. to blame. Yeah, Problems with this, and I don't think he was too happy with the way I was driving either when we were road cruising. So <laughs> uh, Rob Stone said that he, uh, um, no, it wasn't Rob. It was Ryan it's, Young no. said he about got run off the road in Utah when he was driving through. <laughs> Might have been one of us. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. <laughs> Out of my way, slowpoke. But uh, well, yeah. yeah apparently, we apparently, when you ride with Keith, he's going to be McFreakin. <laughs> McFreakin. Yeah. When he's McPeaking over the when he's McPeaking over the yeah. edge, he starts to McFreakin. <laughs> Another oh, Czechism, man. more Czech gold. <laughs> it's too easy with Keith, you know. Yeah. The, Keith's a good. Yeah, I'm excited to see Keith again. We're going to be hanging out with him in the fall for the carpet fest. Yep, so that'll be yep. good. Yeah, I'm stoked for that. Yeah. You guys are going as well. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah. We're nice. Uh, the plan right now is actually we're going to be staying with Keith. Yeah. And doing a little herping while we're there too. So. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll have you guys forces. That'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That cat has no tail. Get out of here. Yeah, she's <laughs> My cat has no fur. Your cat has no tail. All right, well, you guys ready to fight a little? Let's let's have you. Uh, when are we not ready? Yeah. I've That's got it. my yeah, notes. You guys are fighting a lot. That's what I thought you guys are You have my notes. Ah. He's, so I was getting off work, and he, he came to my house to wait for me. And just snooping around, he found my notes and took pictures. So I can't trust anything he says now. Oh man, so that's some good espionage. Yep, I've, <laughs> yep, I've, I've got it. I prepared lots of my own notes too. So right now, so now you got both sides. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's have you guys uh, introduce yourselves. Kind of say where you fit into herpeticulture, and you know, 
why is it why it's why it's important to you and, and we'll get some fighting going who wants to start <laughs> go ahead aspen oh, you go first all right uh, i guess i'm aspen man <laughs> as was previously introduced um i don't know if i'd fit into herpetoculture any more than the next guy i'm just another keeper another keeper and herper uh nothing nothing super special so He's a he's a fellow Tracier keeper there. Yeah, right? That is true. I I yeah. do keep a pair of Tracier. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I like oh, it. Fingers crossed. In the next year or two, they're ready to go. So nice. Yeah. How long you had them? Uh, shoot, the female I've had. How long have I had her now, Chris? Like two years. Two and a half, three years. Two and a half, three years now, at least. Yeah. And then the male I got mm-hmm. just last year, so I've had him a, a little over. Well, was it? Like, yeah, a little over a year, I think. I've had him, nice. so they're solid. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. I love them. They're cool, man. They are. They're, they're, I, they, cool. they're so much better than any other scrub. I don't yeah. know what it is about them, but they're better. <laughs> you, you you don't really kind of like once you get them in, you get them kind of established, and they mm-hmm. they start to get out of that really ugly like uh, wild yeah. caught look. You're just like, holy shit, these things. Once are, they shed that the, jungle skin, they glow. Yeah. It, yeah. it is. It, you're like, man, they're they're fucking brown, but they're the coolest brown yeah. scrub python I've ever seen. So they really nice. Are. That's awesome, dude. That's yep. awesome. Well, if 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 I can help in any way, or uh, you know, let me know. I consider myself in the presence of a god at this point. So <laughs> <laughs> the you grandmaster, are, you're going to regret <laughs> offering that help. <laughs> if I don't get eggs this year, I you may resend that. You're a hack, Poland. I'll keep yeah. a pin in it. <laughs> you're sitting on an army, though, so I think you're going to be all right. <laughs> Hope yeah. so. Hope yeah, so. always we'll that see. first generation. I mean, captive bred always do do better too. So, yeah. are either of yours captive bred Aspen? Or are they? Um, no, both are wild caught imports. So. Not a whole lot of those floating around. They were pretty young when they came in, or? Um, yeah, the male was probably at least a year old. He was a bit bigger. The female was young. The female Mm -hmm. was pretty young when I got her. The male was older. Nice. So. Yeah. And how long have you been doing this stuff? Uh, Uh, same answer as most guys. As long as I was able to walk, I've been picking up snakes and sticking them in my pocket. So, I've been in the hobby keeping since probably 20... 15 I guess technically okay so cool alright Chris how about you um kind of the same similar answer as Aspen's I mean I uh I at one point had a relatively large collection of uh the short tail species um but due to some life circumstances I had to sell off those and Mm. kind of took a hiatus for a little bit and then the last I mean I never took a hiatus from herping since I yeah. started. That's an addiction you can't really set down. But uh, yeah. just here in the last year or so, I started keeping again. But I wanted to just try new things. So I've picked up a pair of Brettles pythons and have some various geckos, a kukri uh, snake, and a hog island boa. Mm-hmm. And uh, thoroughly enjoying those. And kind of with the short tails, it was all racks and tubs and with this stuff i'm trying to for the most part do uh more naturalistic enclosures so trying to learn about plants and stuff but mostly killing them but uh (laughs) plants are i don't have a green thumb um but thankfully my girlfriend's better with that stuff than me 
Sadly, killing plants is the best way to learn. <laughs> it, it really true. is. I'm I, sure. I, I'm, I'm a plant guy, and I cannot even tell you how many plants I've killed in the pursuit of learning to be a plant guy. So, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's yep. good to hear. I'm glad. That, yeah. I'm glad that I don't know if that's reassuring, but <laughs> it's kind of the truth. Yeah. I I just like that when I kill off certain things, there's always the good old trusty pothos to fall back on that you can't kill. So, <laughs> oh, I, I have, uh, yeah. I had some in my frog cage and it didn't last. I think oh I no, to water it or something. I need to. Yeah. All right. Well, um, so I've witnessed a few of your uh, back and forths, so I think we're in for a treat here. This should be fun. But, um, we'll try to keep it contained for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you guys have done some pretty awesome herp trips, and and that was kind of how I, you guys came to my attention because I saw you know some of your posts on uh, some of the groups, and I started following you and kind of watching, seeing the stuff you were finding. You guys did some pretty amazing herping down there. I mean, it helps to be in a, a good spot for herping. When you can go day to day, it definitely helps. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So makes it but, easy. But then you guys put in the time too, so you were out there hitting the hitting the streets, hitting the hills uh just about every day it seemed like you're always finding something cool so um i got the yeah like i said before i got the pleasure of herping with you guys and and kind of getting to know you a little better and that was a lot of fun so um thanks thanks for coming on let's uh we're, we're gonna talk about uh sharing herp spots uh whether or not that's a, a good idea or you know kind of the pros and cons of of sharing herp spots you know what uh because most herpers are pretty tight-lipped, but I, I was talking to, uh, well, Chuck and I were actually talking to Jordan Parrott, and and he he showed us a bunch of herp spots, and he's like, look, you know, this stuff's getting paved over faster than we can do much about it, you know, so maybe people should enjoy it before it's gone kind of attitude about it. So I thought, yeah, that's that'd be a great topic. And then when you guys said you might want to come on and and uh, have a have a little fight here. I thought that'd be a good topic for you guys because you both herp quite a bit, both been around the country a bit, and maybe around the world a little as well. So um, I thought that was a fitting topic. But let's go ahead and uh, flip the coin. Who wants to call it? I'll take heads. Give All me right. heads. <laughs> oh, we got tails. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> My luck. <laughs> So uh, Chris gets to pick uh, what side of the topic he's on. I think we might know what that might be. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel, like he, I feel like he may have played his hand a little earlier on than this. Um, I'll go ahead and take the side of not sharing herp spots. Okay. As would yeah. be expected. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then as the, the flip winner, you also get to decide if you go first or if Aspen leads us out. Oh. Uh, Aspen, go ahead. I, I like <laughs> All Aspen right. Yeah, because I stumble and then you just pick up the crumbs I dropped. <laughs> uh, or the whole pie. As Justin first, <laughs> as Justin kind of first stated that uh, we know the urban sprawl is kind of taken over and we're losing a lot of good spots. And I'm sure Chuck knows being in Southern California that a new Walmart pops up everywhere. I mean, we were down there herping. Uh, two years ago now two years ago we were herping and you're in the back of a Walmart flipping a board looking for these snakes that may not be there come next year so I think that's a really important topic to to start with as well as just the hobby in general 
uh, it's always good to embrace future generations. Um, if we're close-minded, we don't open up to new herpers when they want to learn, when they generally want to figure out how to get into this hobby and a good spot to, or good spot to start with. Uh, if we're not up front and helping them out, who's going who's gonna to carry on the herping legacy once we're gone? So I guess that would be my uh, opening yeah, I, I would echo that. Like some of the new herp guys that are coming in, I, I, I guess you know the more obvious ones are the ones who have the popular YouTube channels like uh, Noah Fields and the what's the Catch It guy's name? Do you see his stuff? But both pretty, you know, pretty young guys. But I mean, the Catch It guy, he just went over to the Galapagos and he's filming his herping and adventures over in the Galapagos, which is pretty cool because. I haven't made it over there, and I'm hoping to at some point in my life. But you know, to live vicariously and see some nice footage of some of the animals is pretty cool. So. I've been to the Galapagos. Yeah. Have you? No, well, nice. not really. I was on the boat. It was in the navy. <laughs> I like, touched oh, the water. <laughs> there's the Galapagos Islands as we sailed by. Oh, so that was you didn't yeah. jump overboard and the swim biggest in there. tease of your life. Yeah. But anyway, oh. I seen them. I seen them. <laughs> horrible right but yeah some of these new guys coming up you know if they maybe had a rough start or didn't didn't have a good experience maybe they wouldn't have done these things and i don't know maybe i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing i guess chris can uh, (laughs) respond yes what say you chris (laughs) what say you sir um well so i think there's pretty much no validity to anything aspen says um (laughs) just to start off Um, but uh yeah so he he said oh you're we're losing these areas to uh cities and uh yeah really just places being overrun by construction and stuff like that which in turn means there is less areas to herp um so if you show everyone these uh rapidly declining areas then that habitat only gets destroyed further by uh Herpers going and flipping rocks and not knowing proper etiquette or just not caring. Um, and is to go along with that, um, we live in a world of instant gratification. People are, they just want everything handed to them on a silver platter. Just, mm-hmm. they want it easy. And so there are a lot of new and upcoming herpers, and I think they, like anybody, deserve to be able to go out and herp and enjoy it. But you can teach proper herping etiquette and uh, essentially help them to be a better herper without showing specific locations where they may have to kind of put in some of the footwork themselves, have some of that type two fun to uh, find their own spots, find their own uh, new areas. And then I think in turn, you they get more out of it. It's when you're not just handed something, you have to kind of work for it and earn it. It's more rewarding in the long run. It's true, yeah. I guess if they have staying power, they're going to stay in it whether or not they, they find a bunch of stuff right off the bat or if it's really a passion for them, you know. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with you to the point where they get more out of it. Um, there's always that reward. I think we all can agree with that, that when you've done the research, you've found a spot that you think is going to be good, but you have no clue because you found it on Google Earth and you go there and you find that target that's there's not many feelings better than that um i definitely have to agree with you there um but along with losing habitat 
um, you kind of brought up that <laughs> you got that smirk on your face. Um, you kind of brought up that that it doesn't necessarily. It, it definitely matters with popper herping etiquette uh, when it comes to flipping rocks or logs, especially when it comes to like more dry environments like southern Utah. Uh, reptiles do rely on that microhabitat for sure. Um, but really, if you think about it, the reptiles didn't just up and move to South America to find a, a new microhabitat. They simply went and became less detectable in that same area. They're go- Most reptiles don't have a real wide-ranging area. They'll simply go down deeper underground to find that moisture level. So they may not be detectable for another year or two until that microhabitat under those rocks and logs reestablish. And I am in no way justifying that it's okay to flip rocks or logs without replacing them, without doing it properly. Um, But I think there is a proper way to do that and teach people and still retain that microhabitat. And along with the same habitat argument, uh, you got to think about not just necessarily in the U.S. or just with common species, but with more endangered species and perhaps sharing those locations and getting the word out that these endangered species may be there could potentially garner more attention and garner more protection for that land. And they might be able to set up some sort of area protection, or maybe we might be able, may even be able to police ourselves a little bit better, knowing that there are protected species in that said area, or be policed better. Correct, police yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than to go into an area and see like cap rocks flipped and stuff yeah. like that. We, we went into an area in Western Australia. We were looking for wheat belt uh, stimpsons and their habitat was just torn up from, you know, poachers trying to go in and get a quick buck by collecting these, you know, popular snakes. And so, yeah, it just, it really sucks. And then it makes it harder to herp that area. You have to go further in and, or find a new spot or whatever. And it's, yeah, it's just not not cool. Yeah. So, well, do you, you remember that night we went with with uh, Dustin, and there was that that group that was. Ju- I mean, they literally got there just in front of us, and I swear we walked right behind them, and they, they were like a hurt group, and they didn't mm-hmm. replace any of the shit that they t- overturned. Well, I, I don't know if it was them. I think it okay, might have been. That's fair. You're think, right. It, yeah, I think Dustin said that he'd seen some because yeah, all the boards were not in the right spot. They weren't yeah. per- put back. And, so and that's yeah, always a bummer when you show up to an area and it's been torn apart, especially yeah. that soon after that. And that's where I think policing ourselves better comes in play, mm-hmm. and maybe yeah. even taking new people that may not even know what they're doing and teaching them how to do that. Yeah, yeah and I, I I definitely think that there's there's an onus on people, you know, uh, experienced field herpers to, to teach people how to be good stewards of those areas. Um, because, I mean, honestly, you have stuff like iNaturalist, right? Like, um, it's out there for everybody, you know? Yeah. I mean, some things are obscured, but for the yeah, most part, you yeah, can kind but, of figure out what Well, even is. along the obscured yeah. stuff, if you look like at the, uh, the, the, California garters, the red-sided garters in California, half the records are in the ocean. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. And you only have such a big square area that you can find those records in, so it narrows it down pretty quickly. Yep, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. 
Espen's doing a really good job so far of arguing my points for me, and I'm enjoying this. <laughs> I do that for Justin sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No, I uh, I think another part to it, too, that uh, you, we brought up that the, there's habitat destruction due to construction and just humans encroaching on wild areas, but to that same argument, um, there's a, I'm sure even Justin, you're even probably aware of it. You herp Utah enough, but there's a certain canyon or a certain area where a lot of people go to find Utah Mountain king snakes, and it became very popular. A lot of people found out about it, and there's a like a very specific area you can stop and go and flip capstones. And for a while, it was you could go there and pretty much for sure find one. And then uh, one day, someone went up and took some photos of the same rock outcrop where you could find them, and the rocks were just the whole rock formation was just torn apart. Rocks were on the ground. And, uh, I think after that, um, you didn't, people don't find them there like they used to. They, uh, they've had to move on to different areas where they can find better habitat again. And it kind of ruins it for the people that did put in the work who did find that place that like to frequent it and knew to respect the area. And because it was overshared, it, that habitat destruction came about because of the herpers themselves. Yeah, that's that's like I said, that's the most frustrating thing. But I I wonder too, like, I mean, sometimes you know places get herped out, but at the same time, you know, as as time goes on, people kind of forget about it, or or they think, oh, it's all fished out, and so people stop going there, and, and you know, eventually it might might restore it. Might restore. Um, yeah. I went with. Uh, uh, Brian Eager and we went out to to, re- to, to try to find this uh, den out in Grantsville area that had been like a historical spot, you know, where they'd done a lot of publications, a lot of studies out there. But the locals would go out there to kill rattlesnakes because it was like a great spot for rattlesnakes because they're all, you know, there's a high vernacular out there. And uh, we actually found the den that they were publishing on it back in the 50s or 60s or whatever and, and found that spot. And I mean, we we flipped probably, you know, 30 yellow-bellied racers in one afternoon. They were just all, they were like the first ones to emerge. It was a little earlier in the spring kind of uh, scenario. But, um, you know, and, and Brian actually went back and I think he got a publication in Herp Review going back with some of the original researchers that uh, published on that area. So that was kind of cool. But, uh, yeah, I think... Um, sometimes is it is it a good thing to have some spots that where everybody knows to go and so people just go there and you know you, you kind of avoid having them discover new places i i guess i i kind of liken it to the canyoneering folks they would set up routes that were for everybody to use but then they'd have their secret routes where they could do that you know is there is there a place where you can have both you know spots where you tell people about but then you also have your kind of quiet spots that you wanker sites yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, i uh i think it's uh species dependent in that one it depends on yeah. what the range is and how um sensitive that species is for example i can only imagine you're only talking about great basin rattlesnakes mm-hmm. which aren't uh, a lot of people really like them and will travel far to come and see them but uh, I don't know if I'd exactly call them sensitive or rare or yeah. that their habitat range is really restricted to a very specific uh, microhabitat or anything. They 
they tend to do quite well across their range where they're found. Um, whereas, um, take uh, Prysi, for example, the twin spot rattlesnake, if you had everyone and their dogs going to find those, I mean, they've, they've actually restricted some areas. You can't even go there because they're trying to protect the species now. So some of the best habitat you used to be able to go and look for them, now you you're not supposed to go there at all because it, it was getting overworked and the species was getting harassed and over collect well illegally collected since they're protected but yeah so no, I, species dependent i agree 100 percent when it comes to species dependent on that um uh, here in southern utah we're pretty tight-lipped about spots where we found to be very good for gila monsters just for that fact that not only are we concerned that this few that are in that area might be collected, but it's a sensitive species as well in that they are known to change burrows entirely, or at least attempt to, if they feel like their winter den or the area that they've selected to hide in is no longer secure. If someone's been bothering them and taking pictures of them every single day, uh, they, they've been known to move and attempt to find a new burrow. And if that happens in June, it might not find a new burrow. So I, I would definitely hand that towards Chris and that depending on the species, yes, I think some discretion is perfectly warranted. Even with everybody that, deserves that photo, right, Aspen? Everyone should get a photo of it. The, the they don't shot. need to put in the work. I just, Everyone uh, should just get to uh, go photograph them. I just read Justin got it. one. <laughs> I just read about that yes. uh, some uh, some uh, photographers that were chasing down a barn owl out in like the Bear River Migratory Bird Refuge, and like they were trying to get pictures of it flying. So they kept like scaring it up out of the grass and making it fly, and eventually the owl just died. Like it just wow. rolled on them um, because sucks. they harassed it so much, you know, and it's like people don't, don't have respect for the animal. They just want to get their pictures, you know, and so that can be, uh, yeah, not the best situation. Wankers. I imagine that's yeah, similar to the, for the Gila situation, but, um, yeah. that speaking of that big group that rolled through the area. So we, we were driving to this specific spot. I think it's fairly well known, but it still is pretty productive. And so, we got we we were driving in the dark and we went to turn on to the you know the turn off to go down to this canyon and and all of a sudden this big these two big vans pulled you know turned in front of us it's like they a were, caravan yeah. it wasn't it wasn't like two big vans it was like a fucking caravan and, and they yeah and so and we're like oh great maybe they're just you know hopefully they're just camping down here or something there's a and no they went right to the spot parked you know and and all these guys get out with their snake hooks and somebody's leading a tour to that spot you know so it's not exactly mm. secret and this is the spot where they weren't replacing the board so obviously somebody's going in there and just flipping boards and not caring about putting them back where they need to go but um we we actually found a, a i was gonna say they didn't yeah. find shit <laughs> yeah. but we did after they yeah. left <laughs> Yeah. Well, it just shows who were the better herpers. <laughs> That's what yeah. we said. We had a club, and, and they were like, uh, they they didn't even realize we were standing around, you know, photographing something, and we were kind of playing it cool, like wait till they leave or wait till they go. We've to been there, haven't so, we, Chris? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, and, and you know, spots like that, like like I said, they're still productive, and you still find stuff there, you know. So, yeah. I don't know. 
yeah, yeah I'll, no. uh, I'll, I'll show someone how to find an American bullfrog any day they want. Yeah, red, yeah, red-eared slider. Any day you want, hit me up. I'll show you where to find them. I want to know where to find to those uh, soft shells down there in, in St. George. Yeah, you soft shells. Very often? Is, is that come to the every- wastewater plant? Yeah, yeah. Is that an everybody's got to start somewhere uh, reptile? <laughs> well, those are invasive species. <laughs> right, I get it. I yeah, and yes. They're yeah. actually fairly different. Listen, well, Julinder, don't screw with my comedic humor. <laughs> so, uh, just a quick deviation. When me and Chris were trying to find our first one, we knew exactly where they were. Um, thank you to INAT, basically, mm-hmm. and, and word of mouth. Um, and we had gone maybe three or four times trying to photograph them at this certain pond. And we couldn't find him. We thought we saw him out in the middle of the pond, but we didn't have good lenses, couldn't see him. And we show up one day, and there's this little old lady, and she's throwing bread to the ducks. And two of these softshell turtles just float up and swim right out and start munching on the bread. And we're like, that's all it took? A little <laughs> bit of bread. All right. I'm going to go feed the turtles next time. Now you know. <laughs> yeah. You were like, thanks, go feed the old turtles. lady. You're awesome. <laughs> yeah, we told her, like, oh, this is what we were looking for. So... <laughs> Um, you never know. Learn a herping trick, trick from a nice old lady. Little yeah, old lady right. feeding ducks. Yeah. Uh, right along with INAT, though, uh, an argument could be made that INAT gives out the majority of the "quote unquote" good locations already, even when they're obscured. They once you get a cluster, it gives you that area, and from there, you if you're any good at researching, you can usually hone in on that spot fairly quickly. So I feel like the argument could be made that even if you don't share the spots, by sharing your records on iNaturalist is sharing your spots. So have you ever posted anything on iNat, Chris? (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead and answer the question, Chris. (laughs) I've seen a lot of side-watch lizards from you. (laughs) Yeah, no, I... INAT is an awesome resource, and it is really, I'll be the first to admit, it's a great place to go if you want to research a species. But I think, again, for me, that that is part of it. I think everyone deserves to be able to go and uh, go out and herp and try and find different species. But I would argue that doing the research on your own, even if that means pulling up an app like iNaturalist, learning the name, where to because you can't you have to at least have a start like if you're like oh i want to look up uh uh sidewinders you got to be able to look in there and if you're looking for sidewinders in uh south america you're probably not going to be super lucky but uh you, you have to put in that that uh research to at least get yourself into the right area and after that i mean Sure, it's a resource just as much as a range map in a book or uh, going online. And um, I think that does play back to the herpers have to have a certain level of etiquette and how they uh, go about herping. If they are going to put records into a database, they, in my opinion, should, for those more sensitive species, either mark them private or at the very least obscured rather than giving the exact uh, GPS coordinate for anybody to go in and just find. Yeah. Yeah, some are automatically uh, obscured, right? Like if it's a certain... Yep. I know certain, desert tortoises... Any protected or... I think even yeah. threatened species might threatened. be obscured. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, one nice thing. I think... Uh, 
I know, I mean, it, it is hard work to try to find new spots, you know, so it, it, but it definitely, like you said, it's more rewarding when you actually do find them, when you've done your own research and kind of hit a new area where they're not really known from. And I guess with iNaturalist that gets a little harder, but, you know, I think, you know, that's how we wind up with range extensions or things. People go, I wonder yeah. if they're here, you know, this is similar habitat and uh, to where they're found elsewhere, so. I know a, a bunch oh. of the Utah herpers will go out and find new, you know, milk snake uh, localities <laughs> and stuff, which is milk yeah, I exciting. think so. yeah, yeah, so. yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. No, no. Yeah. Oh, I, I was just gonna make another point of uh, essentially when we. I'd like to think we've all been given locations at some point or another, especially when you're researching a new area. And again, research comes with the comes with the the hobby comes with going out and finding these spots um at least i know i have i've reached out to people i know that live in that area and not necessarily asked for spots but just general advice and usually people are usually pretty open when they can see that they know you're trying they know if they know you they're usually willing to give you at least a spot or some information leading to a spot I guess my question would be, at what point do you trust that person to give them location? Because I feel like we've all been given spots before to areas that were fairly difficult to hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is helpful. I mean, yeah, that's that's a nice to be entrusted with something, and you know, hopefully you can earn that trust or or respect, you know, and and not share it. I guess that's kind of goes along with the herper etiquette. If if somebody does show you a spot, you know. That's their that's theirs to give, not yours to to give give on. But I think a lot of people just get excited and they want to make it look like they're the they're the experts or they know what they're doing, and so then they share it further because they're trying to show off. So yeah, that's a hard thing to get yeah. around human nature. <laughs> no, and I and I do think that that's a uh, that's another aspect we haven't touched on that is a a really difficult uh, part of herping is not everyone herps for the same reasons Mm -hmm. um some people herp just purely for the love of the reptiles they just want to go they want to see it in the wild they want to learn about it so talk uh, take pictures of it um and that's all that they really care about that's what they want to do but on that flip side you also have people that all that they want to do is go out and collect those animals they want to find them uh capture them take them home and put them in a box and that that's their new pet um and and that is a a difficult thing because i i had a time where um i went out with a friend and i'm going to keep this as uh obscure as i can i went out with a friend looking for a species that i had never seen in the wild before um and this friend that i went with is uh really good at finding this species um, so I was just excited to go out with him. Um, and out of the blue, he invited another friend that I didn't know was coming. Um, and so we all split up and, uh, we're going on this hike looking for it. We're all within earshot for the most part, but not ne- right next to each other. Um, and all of a sudden out of the, as the day goes on, this one friend of his, comes running up to us and pulls this reptile out of a bag in his backpack 
he's like, guys, I found it. Look, here it is. Like, you can take your picture now, which for me totally defeated the purpose. Like, I want to be, I mean, I don't have to be the one to spot it, but I don't want you to come running a half mile up the trail to me to pull it out of a bag. And then he just uh, went from there to put it back in his bag and he took it home and who knows whatever happened with it. And so for for someone that's just out there to, to enjoy nature and enjoy the reptiles in their habitats, it's always a bummer when you know that some of these areas that um, maybe these reptiles aren't as easy to find in or their habitat's more specific and isn't as common there, that people are collecting them out of the wild and uh, limiting your chances to see them yeah. is always a bummer. For sure, yeah. Some of those spots where they used to be really, like you were saying with the, you know, the mountain, you know, they used to be really easy to find there, and then all of a sudden you can never find them again because they've been over collected. Yeah, um, my our buddy Dustin Gron, he's uh, he he uh, had some has some locality animals and he's bred them and he's gonna hatch out the eggs and take them back to, and release them kind of in that same area where he found them so he can you know, help the or, or at least put back, you know, what they would have maybe <laughs> contributed to that area. So, yeah, that's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. If you're gonna, Chris, you know, if you're gonna collect them, be be responsible. I guess. I want you to know, I hate you for making me argue this point, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I'm gonna do the best I can here. <sighs> If you want me to argue it for you, I can because I can think of some good points for it. No, but I'd rather I, watch gotta, you struggle. No, I'm sure you already read my points. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Oh, those are my those are my notes. <laughs> uh, when you look at collecting, I'm sure there are certain areas that have been hit hard. Yes, mainly those most common spots, the spots on iNaturalist, the spots that, like you said, the huge group rolls through with 13 guys and they all have a bag and a hook in hand. I'm sure those spots get hard or get hit hard, um, but in a lot of these areas, human development isn't far away, which means roads. And how many times have we road cruise DORs at night, and we get 13 DORs and a single live snake? You know, um, so it makes you wonder. Obviously, when you take a snake out of that wild, that snake is dead to the wild. It would have been just as good as if it got run over or you put it in your pocket. So really, how many people out there are putting snakes in their pocket and taking them home versus the number that are getting hit by cars every night or eaten by hawks and coyotes? Um, I would argue that a fair number more fall victim to cars and natural predation versus being collected. Granted, there are some areas that definitely suffer due to overcollection. Like you said with price eye, um, that's definitely a big threat to areas like that. Well, and then uh, Aspen, you probably know even the name of the species. I can't uh, remember it off the top of my head, so maybe you'll help my argument and remind me of the name. But uh, me and one of our mutual friends, uh, Joey Mugleston, were recently talking about a species of monitor lizard that it's an island species, and it can no longer be found on this island because it was overcollected to the point that they now no longer exist on the island. They were collected to extinction in their range i can't remember the name of the species but they you can find them in captivity which is great but you can't see them in their wild habitat anymore i can't think of the species off the top of my head 
you're not useless. Sure what you're talking about. <laughs> I do wonder though, because you know, like like functional extinction versus true extinction, because you know, it seems like there's all these these animals that go functionally extinct, and then you know, ten years down the line, they find some. And I wonder if that's kind of like Aspen's point of like, you know, when you disturb a microhabitat, that animal just goes, you know, deeper underground or, or finds or maybe they're just going to places where, you know, and this is this is something that, that made me think of it is when when Justin and I were herping with Jordan Parrott, um, we did a lot of road cruising, but you just can't be up in those mountains and not look at all of that habitat that is so that is so far from a road and so far from any person and you know if they're crossing the road they're out there in the, those mountains where there's absolutely nobody so what is that what does that true population number look like you know what i mean and i think you, you take like the, the whole wild caught argument and daniel natusha's research of versus you know like what what wild collection does versus habitat destruction and so if there's still habitat, is it really? I don't know. There, there's there's a lot there, but um, I get I guess my I guess my point is we we talk about that decline, but what does that really look like? That's a good point. Uh, Offenberg, I I think is the one you're thinking of. The nice. peacock monitor. Sure. I think that's what you're thinking of. I think <laughs> like, I yeah. could be so. Someone's probably yelling through their phone right now, saying <laughs> I'm wrong, but I think you're talking well, about yeah, Offenberg. I- if it helps any, I know they have some pretty blue coloration in the yeah, wild that's, due to that's something they guy. eat, and then in captivity they lose it. But yeah, yeah I think so. I'm not the monitor expert here. I'll leave that to you. So yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely not. I still don't own any at the moment. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'd really agree with Chuck's point, and uh, to kind of tack onto that, I think importation and sharing secret spots with importation is a whole different subject with do they really care about that species or do they just care about keeping it secret because that's their paycheck that's what feeds their families Um, and it may be different if they cared more just about that species and they maybe wanted to share it with their friends but I do agree that there is a problem with importation sometimes and dwindling Individuals, um, I mean, you look at like uh, McCray, the monitor, the blue tree monitor. Um, they're from a very, I mean, most monitors from those chain of islands are limited to one or two islands. And you get one or two collectors that go out there to collect and import them. And the next thing you know, um, you're, you're down to a handful of species that, like Chuck said, may end up going down deeper underground or hiding or trying to get away from that stress of being collected so that's definitely a point there and i definitely think island species um you know may be an exception to that to to kind of daniel natusha's rule just just because their you know their range is limited um and so you know they can only go so far to kind of escape any type of pressure like that right um Although, look at Biox. I mean, Biox green tree pythons, they keep bringing those in by the bucket load, and, yeah. and they, they don't seem but to slow down much. But, what about yeah. the Kofiau Island, yeah. you know, yeah. stuff like that? You it's don't weird, see that though. stuff, yeah, you know. So, kind of so, so I, th- I, you know, I think, again, like, some of it is, like, species maybe, specific. you're yeah, you're not capturing the specific 
pressure or, or, or whatever is acting on. But but certainly island island and mainland species, you know, probably are are separate case by case examples. They agree for sure there. I always thought, you know, that would be an interesting uh, thing to try to kind of flood the market for some of these things where they're locally abundant, but they're, uh, I guess, functionally rare and like maybe like a shingleback, right? In in Australia, they're like a $100 lizard. Over here, they're a $10,000 lizard. And so, you know, there's a lot of impetus to smuggle or to, you know, to, to try to get them out of the country. And so you wonder if they just exported, you know, couple hundred animals or a couple thousand animals and and just you know flooded the market so to say if that would satisfy it and slow slow that illegal uh collection down because i don't know man i i guess uh there was an example where i went to uh an island a rottenest island off the coast of western australia and was looking for the this endemic shingleback on rottenest island um, it's a subspecies, um, and we saw one, and I, I thought, oh, you know, we see, we found one, we'll see more, because they're, they're all over this island. We didn't see any more, and then came, come to find out some guy had gotten caught at the border with, like, 30 of them in his, <laughs> you know, underwear. Or oh, something, man, you know, that's, that's where they all went. Yeah, exactly, that's like a the bummer. week before I was there or something, so it's, yeah, kind of that. Great so, reason yeah, definitely. not to share spots. Yeah, so, <laughs> of course. Of course. Yep. Way to tie it all together. Chris <laughs> is like, I, thank you. I think that's the that's the problem though. Is like an island, you know. If, if, yeah. If they're if they and and you know a lot of people will do their research and read papers and stuff. So when an animal's described, they you know buy a plane ticket, go to that island, and start collecting before they you know have even really been described and and uh, such. So it's it's a it's a problem. Um, I don't know. I had heard that somebody was talking about that where if they discovered a new species, they would just collect a bunch of them, breed the heck out of them, and then just flood the market at the same time that they published where they, you know, where they were found in the yeah, wild. Yeah, I've heard so of that could, before. You know, stop, stop people from going there just to collect them. There would be no financial uh, impetus to do so, so. Well, I, mean, I don't know. At, it's a it's a complex uh, problem for sure. Look at uh, uh, Felsoma clemmeri, neon day geckos, and I'm only going to bring this up because I really want to brag about oh, it. My Lord. <laughs> I I actually just bred them. They, they just hatched out today, and I'm excited oh, nice. about it. Nice. Um, but they were discovered in I think 1990 in Madagascar from two tiny little endemic pockets off the west coast of Madagascar. And they imported, I think, 14 individuals. And nowadays you can find them a lot of places. They're, they're fairly common in the hobby, and they're not expensive. Um, so there's not really a desire to go out, fly all the way to Madagascar, and smuggle these tiny little geckos back in. Yeah. Um, but little. Had to, I had to bring it up because I was proud of it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. I, I remember following, uh, so we were herp in West Texas and, and we were, we kept running into the same group in this, in all the spots we were going to. And the difference between us and them is they had a van full of buckets and they were collecting yeah. everything they found. And so like they, they got to an area right before we did and found like a rock rattlesnake, a, you know, lepidus and, and found a bunch of other stuff, uh, copperhead. And the guy was actually bragging about how, you know, he sees like 50 of them in his backyard in, you know, East Texas and 
and they look exactly the same as these West Texas ones. And we're like, well, what are you collecting it Why? for? It was like a, you know, a thirty dollar animal to for him, you know, and that's all he was looking at. It was dollar signs. I think we probably interrupted their collection of within a state park because we rolled up behind them and they had found this uh, really cool Central Texas uh, whip snake, um, really neat banded pattern. <laughs> And uh, I, I'm pretty. We were convinced they were just going to collect it. If we wouldn't have come up, they probably would have taken it home. But then we stayed with it and took pictures and released it, so they didn't get that <laughs> Good. one. Good. Yeah, and then they left right after we got there too. They didn't even really go up the trail or anything to. So yeah, it was kind of obnoxious, but yeah, that. And you just would have kicked their ass. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Is you should have just. <laughs> beat the shit out of them and just released them all back taking but their I mean, buckets and gone home what they were doing was legal you know you can collect it as long as you're you know along the road or whatever so um what they were doing was perfectly legal so i don't know i just don't like but and then uh, like like you were saying before like the areas where roads go there's so much more habitat beyond that road and you know, so they're just impacting a tiny fraction of the right. available population. And yeah. if you go on private land in Texas, you're probably going to get shot anyway. <laughs> so, you know, I don't think it's worth it to, to go on the private land to collect stuff. But, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend going on private land in Texas <laughs> even to just uh, look for anything. Yeah. Texas isn't a place you want to get caught on the wrong side of the fence. Right. Nope. <laughs> yep, nope. they take their... Uh, private land seriously out there. <laughs> yeah, they um, tend to. You, you can't be poking around for wall lizards in somebody's front yard <laughs> in Texas. That only happens in no, the whole different. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, well, any other uh, any other topics coming to mind? You got some other axolotls? Okay. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, I just no. I, no, it was a it was a. Uh, a last ditch attempt scratching at the bottom of the barrel and Chris apparently didn't know I didn't know it either until I was researching and Chris read my notes and I taught him something from it uh, but I think Good most job. of us know that axolotls were uh, uh, functionally extinct basically um, they come from a little tiny bit in Mexico and and uh, collecting them actually essentially preserved the species here in captivity whether really preserved it or not is to be debated though because they were mixed with tiger salamanders so who knows if it actually really has saved them uh but hey we still have them i guess (laughs) yeah no i uh oh we lost oh boy we lost you chris all of a sudden we can't hear you no so this is there he is there he goes Oh, sorry about that. Um, No, I'm going to speak just more generally, really, than arguing aside, which is that um, herping definitely seems to have climbed in popularity over the last 10, 15 years. You run into people more often. Um, I think social media has really um, upped that, where people are able to share their finds and their photographs, and it gets people excited, and other people want to find, and I... I actually think that it is really cool that you're able to um, reach out to people who live in areas of the world that you've never been. Maybe you're flying to Australia and you're going to spend two weeks there. And if you didn't have some sort of a connection or 
uh, even just that social media to help you find things you wouldn't get the same experience. You, I'm sure you'd still have a great time. Um, and I'll throw in for my argument. I definitely don't think you should ever share really sensitive spots for sensitive species that could suffer from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I think there's a level within herping where you can responsibly share information um, with people that you know are going well you hope are going to um, be respectful of the wildlife and the areas they live in and I think that that's a really cool thing that people um, are able to do that and experience these animals in the wild because I think we can all um, agree that when you go and see an animal in the wild especially if it's something you keep it grows your appreciation for them you learn about them and it changes your view on how you keep them in captivity a lot of the time um so i would say that that's that's a really good thing um and it's really cool and i'm not gonna lie as much as i'm saying i don't like sharing spots it's really cool when people reach out and say hey i'm coming to utah i want to find this thing how Mm -hmm. what can i do what time of year whatever right um, now, when someone messages me and says, will you show me that Gila den, I'm going to tell them to bugger <laughs> off and leave me alone. Um, yeah. But no, it, if it's done respectfully and with uh, respect for the wildlife, it is a, a really cool hobby to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's as much as I'll say to sort of help Aspen side. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, uh, just to echo what Chris said, basically, uh, we, we kind of live in a day and age that it, it's unprecedented, really. It's easier than ever before to travel across the world, to visit places we've never been, to hurt places that weren't possible to hurt or not very easily possible to hurt um, ever before. And do your research go out there get outside look for these species but do your research we have tons of materials on our hands buy a guidebook utilize iNaturalist reach out to people you might know or people that you've heard of out in the areas don't necessarily ask for locations don't be upset if they don't give you spots but be willing to take any advice they give you and put that towards your research. Um, in the end, it's definitely going to be much more rewarding when you find those species. Uh, to benefit Chris's point, clearly, uh, it definitely is far <laughs> more rewarding when you research and when you've put in all this time, blood, sweat, tears, and everything comes together, and you find that price eye sitting out on top of a rock. You know, um, it's yep. it, it's a pretty great yep. moment. So just do it yeah, um, respectfully and responsibly. Yeah, and uh, just one more thing on that. Uh, Aspen's not kidding about – well, two things. Aspen's not kidding about the blood part of the, the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> I know he's had his fair share of uh, Choya cactus and is uh, oh, yeah. stabbed into his body. I won't, I won't even say it. looking for <laughs> reptiles. But, uh, now that's no, a go, good time. One other, yes, everyone loves Choya. But uh, – <laughs> No, and that I, I'll say that right now. I welcome anybody listening that if you just want to learn proper herping etiquette, I may not have all the answers, but I will share every bit of proper herping etiquette that I know to try and Absolutely. help you to, to do things in the right way if you're new and learning and want to get out and maybe don't know things about flipping rocks and putting 
pieces of habitat back where they should be, stuff like that. I, let's, I'm always let's happy a, to answer those questions. Yeah, let's get a few of those out there. I mean, just what what kind of, you know, maybe your top three uh, pet peeves or whatever when <laughs> when somebody goes out herping and does things, you know, what, what, uh, what shouldn't they do, I guess? Don't share uh, spots. <laughs> wow. There number you go. One. Number one From, top of the list. Uh, I think number one is just putting stuff back the way you found it. Leave no trace, you know, the, the classic motto. Um, if you flip a rock, and it's different depending on where you hurt, but especially here in the West where in the summertime microhabitat and moisture is so important to certain species, most species. If you flip a rock, put it back. I don't care if it's heavy. You got to understand if you lift a heavy rock, you have to put that rock back as it sat. And we, especially here in Utah, like to kick the dirt in around that edge and form a seal again. Because if sometimes, a lot of times, if you don't replace that seal within two or three days in 100 degree weather, that that seal is gone and that rock is useless for the rest of the season. So that's a big one. Yep. And uh, I would also urge people to learn the laws of wherever they're going. Um, Because it it, laws are different from state to state too. In some states, um, you can go and collect certain species legally or with a permit. Um, And then in other places, um, depending on the species, it may the laws may even be so strict to say that you're not even supposed to manipulate the wildlife for the for a photograph. Um, They don't want you to handle them. They so yeah they're. So learn your laws and try and respect those to the best of your ability because, um, as always, um, the hobby, reptile hobby in general is always uh, under attack and you don't want to give them more reasons to not like us for doing things with reptiles. So um, learn your laws, respect them to the best of your ability, and uh, even if some of those laws are really annoying or frustrating or... Uh, if there's private property that you know you can go find something on, but you're not welcome on it, well, that's uh, an unfortunate thing. Hopefully, you can warm up the owner of the private property to let you on it. But <laughs> here, here, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, I. <clears throat> I heard a story uh, again from Dustin of one of his buddies that was out looking for price eye, and he was not looking to collect it or anything like that. Just wanted to get pictures of it and. He and a couple friends were looking around, and he was up on a hillside, and his buddies were down in the valley, and he uh, found a price eye, and he and he grabbed it and and held it up and said, "I got a price eye," <laughs> and all of a sudden, a fish and wildlife officer walked out of the the bushes oh, no. and said, "Come here, son," <laughs> you know, and they're gave him watching. Five, they're always watching. Yeah, five thousand dollar fine. Oof. So that was we an were, expensive ouch. lesson to learn. We were up there uh, in in a spot that. It was a spot. Uh, <laughs> and we were up there looking for, for snakes and whatnot. And we just recently found a, uh, a club and we photographed it and whatnot. And five minutes down the trail, we came across a group of birders. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like, oh, have you seen any of the birds? And we're like, oh, yeah, we saw this and that. You guys see any snakes? And they're like, oh, yeah, yada, yada. And we tell them, oh, we just saw a rattlesnake just up the trail. It was a little club ride. And he goes, oh, do you, do you have it with you? Can I see it? Well, no, I, of course I don't have it, but I, I'm 90% sure he had a badge under his shirt going, ah, let's see it, you know. Yeah. So definitely right. obey the laws and, and just be cautious and mindful of that. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, no booby twaps. No booby twaps. <laughs> well, yeah, in fact, I uh, I recently, well, not recently, last year I made a trip down to Arizona and went to a, a fairly well-known spot looking for some of the montane rattlesnake species. And I, I'm looking around. I'm looking by these, uh, these fallen logs and trees and these uh, rock outcrops. And all of a sudden... I'm staring dead in the face, a go or not a GoPro, a trail camera, and it was pointing right at a spot where people find them a lot of the time. And I'm like, oh, yep, they're always watching. Yeah, uh, it's funny because it was really well blended in. I didn't know it was there until I was staring right at it, which is often how I find rattlesnakes too. I was saying it's, it's almost this. like it was a uh, uh, Cerberus. Cerberus, yeah, yeah. That was a fun time. Yeah. Well, and, and they'll uh, put out uh, decoys as well. So yeah, they do. I hear there was a uh, fishing wildlife guy that had a Gila monster, and he'd release it onto the road when you know some herpers were driving by, and and just wait there for them to pick it up or touch it or have a bag or something on them, and then he'd nab them. So <laughs> yeah, even if they weren't in, intending to collect, they just wanted to get it off the road. They interfered with it, oh. and so he would. Wow, I guess that. I yep. guess there's no such thing as entrapment in wildlife. Huh? <laughs> exactly. No joke. Yeah, you wow. got to watch yourself when you're yeah. out there. You don't want to be doing something. They don't stupid. play games. Get that five grand fine. I, I know. I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I could uh, afford that very well. I'd be in. Ooh. Yeah, no. Rather put that. It's funny because. Uh, yep. Exactly. On that, on that same Arizona trip, we uh, we cruised a dead Gila monster in the road, and uh, the person I was with, it was their first time in that area, and they're like, "Oh, maybe we should move the body off the road." And I was like, "Nope, don't touch it." Don't touch Just because it. it was it was one of those. I'm like. I don't know, maybe D.O.R. had a dead Gila in the freezer and they thought it out and threw it in the road and are waiting for me to move it because yeah. even moving the dead ones can get you a yeah. fine. So yeah. even though I wanted to move it off the road, it was, nope, uh, you're not supposed to touch them, so don't touch them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, follow the laws. It's a good yeah. good rule. Um, but, yeah, replacing rocks, replacing, I mean, just, just for the fact that People enjoying the landscape don't want to see some ugly scar of a flipped rock. You know that just looks bad. You know, so yeah. if you if you appreciate the animals, you should also appreciate their habitat and um, you know understand those things. Um, also, I think uh, you know handling or, or grabbing an animal a lot of times will alter its. Uh, like you said, you know, with the Gila, if you bug it enough, it might try to go look for another den or something. And that can be a bad thing. So. Yeah, we need to respect those things that we like. So, yeah. Well, any other final words of uh, wisdom on your on this topic? Uh, just to follow up what you just said there, uh, handling a lot of reptiles is fine, but definitely still respect them if you're going to handle them. Um, one more real quick story. I just remember a time that me and Aspen came across a coach whip in southern Nevada. And it was gorgeous, bright pink, really pretty, and we we're trying to get photos of it. And as you know, coach whips don't hold still. <laughs> they want to bite you, and they're a very uh, energetic species. Well, as we were trying to photograph it, we realized it's 110 out. Oh, I remember we're this. Like, messing, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're messing with this thing, and all of a sudden it's like, wait, this thing looks like it's overheating. Like it, it's starting to show signs of that stress. And so we, we promptly let it go as soon as we saw that there may be an issue. But sometimes you you get excited about what you found, and you it's easy to almost overlook that the animal 
is stressed by that interaction and sometimes the best even though you want to get your perfect beautiful tongue flicking shot of the snake sometimes the the right thing to do is just to let it go and not overstress the animals yeah agreed I, I still I love that scene in Walter Mitty where the guy's out photo- photographing uh, snow leopards in Nepal or whatever, and and he sees one. It comes into his field of view of his camera, and he just sits there and watches it. And and you know he's like, "Aren't you gonna take a picture?" And he's like, "No, nope, that's one. That's just for me. That one's just for me." <laughs> yeah. I think that's kind of yep. cool, you know, to just be like, "I saw it. I appreciated it. I don't need to post it to to prove that it happened," you know. <laughs> Even though they got the whole thing on film. (laughs) All right. All right. It was all set. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. I got you. He wasn't a real wildlife photographer. That was Sean Penn, the actor. It was Sean. The actor? (laughs) Ronald Reagan? The actor? No, we can't get back on this. We got to do a different movie. There you go. All right, well... Thanks for coming on. This is a good, good, lively topic. Not as much bloodshed as I was uh, hoping for, but no. You can only do so much when you're fighting uphill. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Uh, yeah, fair. Aspen was scared I might hurt his feelings. So it's true. I, I'm a sensitive he's, soul. He's already worried about the backlash he's going to get when everyone. Oh, I know. I'm going to get dirty messages. I'm going to get dirty messages. I already know it. Uh, well, our two listeners won't bother you. That's <laughs> pretty, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. All that right. must be well, us. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> there you go. Um, anything uh, new, exciting you've seen in the in you know in herpetoculture or herpetology? Anything cool out there? I I mentioned the one. I I really enjoyed the videos of that catch it guy out in the Galapagos. You know. He's, Finding some cool, you know, just the 4K footage of a of a Galapagos tortoise is pretty cool to watch. <laughs> if I can't, yeah, that's awesome. It's, uh, yeah. I, guess, I think uh, one thing I've liked uh, seeing recently is there's been a uh, seems like in the hobby for keeping at least there's been this big push lately of trying to preserve species that maybe aren't as popular. Um, maybe they're just like a boring brown gecko or a snake yeah. or something, and it seems like there's there's kind of been this recent rally behind like there's all these popular species but don't forget about these other ones because if we let them fall off the edge and fall out of uh, the hobby of keeping you may not have the chance for to keep them ever again so it's been really cool to see I've seen keepers kind of popping up all over the place with these random species which kind of is what helped uh, prompt me to go by that kukri snake because I don't know very many people that work with kukri snakes, and the few that do are thankfully passionate, but it yeah. it seemed like a species that would be fun to work with that isn't as popular, so it's cool to see see that happening. Doesn't uh, Zach Lofman work with kukris? I feel like... I, feel I, like... I thought he did. Maybe it's somebody else. But uh, I it was maybe. I'm... I'm bad with names. I, I've, I've potentially even talked to him, and I already have lost the name. But sack. If you do, I'm sorry. Sorry, Zach. Sack if we've talked, yeah. sack. Yeah, I um, uh, I enjoyed the the Wasat or the Reptilian Nation show in Salt Lake. I saw yeah, Chris cool. and hung out with Chris a bit there and followed him around and. Stock Chris right wouldn't let me tag along. <laughs> no. He told me no. Just a trip for him and his girlfriend. Though. That's exactly that, what it was. 
that that herb time uh, booth was pretty sweet. He had some good kind of lesser seen stuff. Yeah, that was cool. Spherodactylus geckos and some cool anoles and stuff. It was it was a that was probably the best table there. Uh, you know, other than mine, of course. But. Right. I was gonna say that yeah, goes without don't forget, saying. Don't forget about your own booth. I mean, yeah. I probably lost you from lost you some sales from talking with you too much but uh it was fun to talk to you while we were there yeah yeah no that was cool um it was i always like to see those uh booths that have lesser you know like it gets old when every table has ball pythons or or crested geckos you know and and it's nice to see people working with their own little niche and their own little nipper that being said it sucks when that (laughs) table with the rare stuff is a bunch of wild caught imports that are yeah. half dead in the tubs that sucks yeah. but it's yeah. cool to see when it's done the right way yeah oh well speaking of that the um emerald swifts uh the scoloporus uh what's the malachitis or something like that oh is that what i know the exact um, ones you're talking about i can't yeah. remember the species yeah. and they they kind of went away but they're you know they're like a pet store lizard and they bring them in for really cheap but he had captive bred babies the herb time uh oh, that's cool. Ar- is it armin I'm so bad with names. He told me his name a few times, but really cool guy. I sat and chatted with him for quite a while, the Herb Time guy. But he uh, um, had some captive bred emerald swifts at his table. So yeah, there was someone there with uh, captive bred uh, waxy monkey tree yeah. frogs too. Oh yeah, Chris apparently from, that's yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Malachiticus. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, Chris from uh, oh gecko gecko daddy yeah he's is that uh, what it he's, is? yeah he he's I think he's the first one in the United States to breed those really? that's what I heard they're, they're commonly cool. imported but he's the first one to yeah. captive breed those and and then from his efforts other people have followed suit I think Josh's frogs bred some recently as well as some others but man he, yeah hmm. he he uh, figured them out and and caught them to to breed and i think he's sharing his uh success like the secrets of his success with anybody who wants to know like he's not keeping it a secret That's cool. like yeah he's a cool guy i really like chris uh, yeah, yeah he is cool he, yeah he had a his army of kids working in, working the booth and <laughs> yeah, yeah, people named up. chris are usually really cool <laughs> yeah, shameless plug shameless plug yeah I uh, picked up a couple new projects at the at the show. Well, one at the show and then another. Just uh, I wanted to. I, I thought about them at the show because Josh's frogs were there, and sometimes they'll have the binos geckos. But I just wanted to. I've heard they're really cool. They're like some people's favorite gecko. Like I think it was like Joe Hupp or maybe somebody said like the binos were his favorite gecko. <laughs> That's saying a lot because he's got a ton of geckos. But uh, um, so I, I picked up a group of those and I got some. Uh, Collared lizards from my buddy that I bend with. Are they yeah, those were cool. Brody, uh, Brody has some cool. I mean, captive bred collards are like chill as all. You know, they just sit. You know, hang yeah, out. They're with so cool. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Do you feed right. them lizards, or how do you go about feeding them? Um, I well, I just got them this weekend, so I haven't had okay. too much. I've been feeding them dubias, but and, and mealworms, and they see they're juvenile, so they're not quite adult yet. Okay. But, I need to get them in a little bit bigger container because they're pretty active. Like, you need to get a pretty good size uh, enclosure for them, you know. But the one I've got is, you know, not too too small, but it's uh, decked out with a lot of places for them to climb. But, man, they're just jumping all over and running around. They're a lot of fun to watch. So that's been nice. And he's done really well uh, breeding them. So 
I think he's going out on a herp trip to observe them in the wild and kind of see, you know, get some inspiration for for uh, keeping some other species and stuff. But yeah, he's done well with them and, and produced quite a few of them, so <laughs> they're pretty cool. Well, um, where can people find you so they can ask you for herp spots? <laughs> uh, uh, the usual. Facebook and Instagram, uh, just under Aspen Mayhem. Uh, like Chris said earlier, if you guys want to talk herping, more than happy, hit me up. Uh, more than happy to share what I feel or what I think the majority of us feel would be ethical herping and how to target some of those species. Um, just because I argued for herp spots, don't necessarily expect me to tell you where to get Gila's, but uh, again, more than happy to talk. Yep, and uh, yeah, if you're looking for her, herp spots, uh, just don't look me up. No, um, <laughs> no, you can just look me up on Facebook as uh, Chris Allen Jensen's my Facebook, or um, Cash Herps is my uh, Instagram, or my reptile business, which isn't super active yet, but it's picking back up again. It was more active back when I had my big short tail collection, but uh, it's there too. But uh, yeah, your people are welcome to reach out if they want. Nice. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming on, guys, and uh, we'll, thanks for we'll having us. Our, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. Yeah. <laughs> we'll give our shout out to the Pod Father uh, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre for uh, uh, starting this whole thing going and, and umbrellaing our uh, show on their their network. And check out uh, MoreliaPythons dot com. Is that right? Right now. Oh come on. This guy Charlie in charge. Python Radio. Yeah. There we go. That's, there he is. was missing something in there. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. We did it again. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll catch you. He's again just back week. from France. Give him a break. <laughs> yeah. Sacre <laughs> <Suck laughs> bleu. Uh, well, I there was there's. Oh, never mind. I don't know why. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um. Check us out again next week for Reptile Fight Club, if that's the name of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all herped out. Go ask that.